and welcome to The Best Ever. What is The Best Ever? It's a new series from Radio Times where we ask the question, what is The Best Ever? Who's TV's top detective? Which superhero soars the highest? And which action movie blows the competition out of the water? I'm Morgan Jeffrey, executive editor at RadioTimes.com, and I'm joined by a panel of pop culture enthusiasts for a good-natured war of words. Each of our guests has come armed with an opinion. Their mission is to convince me that their pick, and only theirs, deserves the title of the best ever. This episode, they'll be looking to eliminate the opposition as we crown the best ever Bond movie. Joining us on the panel are Charlie Higson, actor, comedian, podcaster, and James Bond novelist, Mark Waldridge, digital creator, filmmaker, and Bond superfan, and Lewis Knight, trends editor at RadioTimes.com and another 007 obsessive. Charlie, welcome to The Best Ever. Uh, you've written a series of acclaimed 007 novels, but when and how did you become a Bond fan? Yeah, I'm a Bond fan. Well, the, the first film that I remember going to see in the cinema, I must have seen films before because I was seven years old, but the one that stuck in my mind that actually, I can actually physically remember the whole process of going to see it was Thunderball. What was it about Thunderball that grabbed you? It was James Bond. <laughs> uh, you know, as a seven-year-old boy, I just thought this was the most exciting, amazing thing I'd ever seen. And 2023 marks 70 years of James Bond. Mark, from the fan perspective, why do you think 007 has persisted over seven decades? That's a really great question. I think it's because it's he endures. I think, as Charlie says, he, you know what you're going to get when you go and see a Bond film, when you read a Bond book. Bond will always come out triumphant, more or less. I mean, recent years, you could question whether the, the success rate, but <laughs> um, ultimately, I think it's because he endures, he keeps up with the times, you know, the movies evolve over the 70 years, the humor, the action, the one-liners, the music, all the ingredients are there just for a winning formula. And I think it wouldn't still be going if it wasn't a winning formula. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's because it constantly evolves. And each of you is about to make your case for what you think is the best ever uh, Bond movie. Lewis, no spoilers, uh, but how confident are you that your pick for the best ever Bond movie is going to emerge triumphant? Well, I think my pick for my favorite slash best Bond film probably like shifts and oscillates quite a lot all the time, depending mm. on my mood, because um, they all offer quite different things. I think as we were saying, they do evolve over time. Um, but there's one, the one I've picked, I keep going back to, and I think it's very much like quintessential mm. Bond, like true to Fleming, true to the character and the franchise, but also the impact that it had, I think is still being felt. Okay. Well, as if the kudos of winning uh, the best ever is not enough, <laughs> one of you will also be awarded our grand prize, the best ever trophy. Well, let's get into it then, uh, shall we? Charlie, what is, in your opinion, the best ever Bond movie? Well, the, the, it is an impossible question to answer. You know, I've been doing Bond events over the last 20 years, and inevitably that question comes up at the end. And, and what do you go for? Because my favourite James Bond film is by no means the best James Bond film. Mm -hmm. And to show it you know, to a, a modern audience, say, who'd never seen a Bond film, and you show how many of them been now? 24, 25, 25 films um, spanning 60 years. So, you know, it, it is, I think, but I'm not going to promote it, that, that probably overall the best James Bond film is Daniel Craig's Casino Royale. Casino Royale. But 
my favourite James <laughs> Bond film and the one that I'm going to push, perhaps vainly, mm. um, because many people would not put it as the, as, as the best or their favourite, is um, You Only Live Twice. Okay, why? Be well, having gone to see Thunderball as a seven-year-old, mm. I was so excited to see the next one. The anticipation for it was so much, you know, you could collect bubblegum cards. There were th th programs on the TV about it. Everyone was talking about it. And then you go and see it. And for a 10 year old boy, it's got everything you want mm. from a James Bond film. It is, it is almost this pure unfiltered Bond, isn't it? There's so many, I don't know how many Bond fans would say it's their favorite, but certainly so many iconic moments. Uh, are in that film, you know, the, the, the villain, Blofeld, the villain in the hollowed out volcano, all those things that have become... A piranha tank. A piranha tank. With a bridge that <laughs> separates. Uh, Little Nelly, the, you know, the one man mm. flying helicopter. I mean, you know, it was the first Bond film that really went over the top. Mm. And everyone at the time was saying, oh my God, this, has this gone too far? Um, but, and, and it's probably, you know, some, some people retro retrospectively have said it's almost like a parody of a Bond film, but actually it's the, it's the one that if you're going to parody a Bond film, that's the one you do. Do you have a, uh, a favourite sequence, favourite moment, favourite scene from your Well, you know, twice? as a 10 year old boy, the, the roof of the volcano opens, mm. colour coded ninjas come in so mm. you can tell them apart from the, <laughs> from the other, the other the, from the baddies with mm. their own different coloured jumpsuits. Very They're helpful. coming down on ropes. I mean, that set is just extraordinary. Yeah. Nowadays, it will all be CGI and quite dull, but that was a real huge set they built with a rocket in it <laughs> and a monorail. Yeah. And there's a huge battle with machine guns and explosions and, uh, you know, the baddies end up in the piranha tank. I mean, mm. that, that end sequence is just uh, um, everything you really want from a Bond film. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, how are you feeling about Charlie's Choice? Are you a You Only Live Twice fan? I am a fan. Yeah, no, I, I loved I love Charlie's Choice. Um, it, it was it was a toss up for my own. Um, so yeah, no, I've no problems with that choice. It is, <laughs> okay, it is the, being it very is, diplomatic. It, well, so no, it, it's it's the quintessential Bond movie. It's yeah. been parodied so many times. You've seen it in Austin Powers. You've seen it done a million times, and you know it's got all those key ingredients that you want and that you expect, and that when you're a kid and you're watching you know, a film like You Only Live Twice or any any of those kind of era Bond movies, they draw you in because it is that escapism. It's that sense of adventure. And it's that that feeling that you get as a kid, I want to be James Bond. Mm. And you can't wait for the next one or you're hunting out what is the next film after mm. this. Mm. Um, so yeah, no, great choice, great choice. Not the first screen Blofeld, but the first time we see Blofeld's face, of course, in yes. You Only Live Twice. Um, personally, my favourite Blofeld, Donald Pleasant. Do you well, it, it, you know, it, he, he, he creates the mould of what a Bond villain should be. Obviously, we had great villains before, mm. and we'd had Goldfinger and, and, and Doctor No. But, you know, it, it, that's the ultimate parody Bond villain. I mean, you know, he, he went for Bald, Scar, um, <laughs> the, the cat, the, the sort of nary jacket, the weird look. It was kind of like the next, the next uh, Bond villain comes along. He says, well, Blofeld... Donald Pleasance hasn't left us anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what am I going to do you to make all the boxes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Mark, is is Charlie right? Is you only live twice the best ever Bond film? Should you and Lewis just pack up and go home at this point? Or uh, I don't. I don't think we should pack up and go home. I think you know, it's it's there's room for debate. For me, I'm going to be making the case for. The Living Daylights. Right. Well, now I, I love this choice. As... No! <laughs> How dare you? You can't possibly go for that. Sorry, I'm just channeling the online. The is, it, is, this, who... is this genuinely your opinion? No, or... not at all. But whatever, <laughs> whatever any one of us says, 
it's wrong. That's going to be the reaction. Yeah. Each, yeah. each one of us will be torn down. Yes. Like, we don't, we, yeah, we can't How think about it. How could you possibly say that? We can't think. Well, no, it's interesting. Sorry, I, I, I jumped in. No, no, but it's, <laughs> but no, but it's interesting, right? Because I'm a big Timothy Dalton fan. And it's almost become a cliche now to say that Timothy Dalton's James Bond is underrated because I think so many people now actually love rate those <laughs> love those movies and rate his performance and say they did great, really interesting things. Well, they're a precursor um, the to Daniel Craig. That's what the argument is. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a justified one, I think. Yeah. yeah no, I think, I think uh, you know, at the time, maybe those movies didn't connect with audiences um, in quite the way that, that the, the, bomb, the Bond team had hoped. Um, and so they were, especially, it almost felt like Pierce Brosnan coming in was, was, a, was a course correction. Um, but then actually, if you look now, you, I don't think you could have had those Daniel Craig movies without the Timothy Dalton movies kind of testing the water. The key with the Dalton movies was it was such a tonal shift going from having Roger Moore mm. and those wonderful eyebrows. Mm. Um, you had the Roger Moore movies, which were phenomenal, which were very lighthearted, fun, cheese on a stick at times, but that's what you, that's what you want. Mm. And to go from that, that tone to the Timothy Dalton, the Living Daylights was a bit of an easier transition. License to Kill, very dark. Mm very very dark um but i think there was there was that shift i think that's perhaps why at the time it maybe wasn't received as well as it would be now mm. but that's not to take anything away from the films and as i say i love them mm. I, I really do yeah mm. what do you remember about your first experience watching the living daylights in particular the music mm. the, the john barry score which um you know just drew me in i could listen to the the action sequences alone just you know on streaming service listen to to the audio track as you're driving along and try to obey the speed limit still but um <laughs> that whole musical score throughout the living daylights is similar with a view to a kill actually you know the music really draws you in you get that sense of adventure those big swelling orchestral pieces um it was the music that drew me in combined with the wonderful action seeing the aston martin v8 mm doing that wonderful car chase through the ice and the Alps, oh, I think it was the Alps, but through the snowy conditions mm. onto the lake, the gadgets, everything just kind of comes together perfectly. Mm. Um, so it's, 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 it's hard to pinpoint one specific thing, but it's definitely your senses start with the music. Mm. And I think then the visuals and the action follow closely. It's definitely one of my one of my favourites, and I think I watched it for the first time as part of a you know, a Bond marathon. I think ITV were showing all the Bond movies, and I think it really, as you say, it really works in that context because it's such a marked contrast to what came before. And you know, there are there are good Roger Moore uh, Bond movies, and there are some that are less good. But I think having watched Roger for seven movies, just having that that injection of fresh energy. From Timothy Dalton, right, is so is so marked and so important. Absolutely, and the, I think one of the underrated things to, to consider as well is that it was the same director that had directed Roger Moore, yeah. John Glenn, the wonderful John Glenn. Why is not Sir John Glenn? I do not know, but <laughs> you know, to go from that tonal shift as a director of having Roger Moore, who John Glenn loved working with, mm. to then the Timothy films, you know, it was just done so well, so well. It all comes back to growing up in the '90s as a kid, seeing those action movies on the TV, um, you just love it. And I still do to this mm. day, even more so, yeah. I mean, Lewis, Living Daylights is, because it is that transition point from the Roger Moore movies, it's still, you're right, it's still got that kind of, that lightness of touch whilst, whilst going, going back to basics. License to Kill is maybe more controversial in Bond circles because it, some argue it goes, I love it, but some argue it goes too far 
the other way. Would you say that's I, I mean, I personally am a bit, um, I say, say in regards to like cheese on a stick with like Roger Moore, I'm a bit lactose intolerant. So <laughs> I'm, yeah, that's not really the bond I really like. So mm. I think when that shift to Dalton, I really like that it kind of starts going back into a bit more of like a serious kind of a bit, a bit more cold hearted thriller, but not as much as it gets with License to Kill. So yeah, incredibly dark, I think License to Kill and quite small as well. I think in terms of like the plotting, it's not mm. a massive, you know, world ending thing. He's dealing with, you know, like cartels and drug barons and it's all very mm. like still quite serious but um i mean i'm personally a fan of it but yeah maybe i think it was probably a bit too grisly i think for people who've grown up mm. with um more and, e and even connery i think who gets quite dark but not as dark as in that film mm. that's maybe one of the criticisms that is sometimes made of the living daylights is that the villains aren't as perhaps iconic as we see in other other bond movies yeah, the i think a lot of people um, praise the direction they praise the action they praise timothy dalton's performance um, the the love story between you know, Bond and Carr is one of the most convincing, I would say, in in, in the franchise. But the villains maybe maybe not up to scratch. In, in in the Living Daylights. In the Living Daylights, who is the main villain? Because there's yeah. there's a couple. That's that I like to have a clear defined villain. Is it Joe Don Barker? Yeah, yeah, Joe uh, Don Baker. Whitaker. Baker, sorry, Whitaker. Whitaker. Is he the main villain, or is it uh, Jerome Crebet's yeah, Koskov? Um, you know, it's uh, there's. I think it's Koskov. Mm. Um, as the main villain, um, Whitaker is okay. I, I can see the criticism of of not having one main supervillain behind mm. it all. It seems more like it's a collaborative between them, mm. you know. And we've got the henchman, we've got Necros, um, but a great henchman, actually. a great henchman, yeah, very you know, much in the mould of, sort of Red Grant. Yeah, and it's great to see, from my perspective, as someone with a, a disability, mm. to not have a villain who has some disability because the villains are always portrayed as being, you know, having some kind of physical deformity mm. that, you know, um, makes them inherently evil. Mm. Um, whereas you've got Necros, who you could argue is, you know, a very blonde, blue-eyed, close to perfection henchman, mm. physically very athletic. Um, but yeah, not having a clear standout villain could be, um, could be a criticism, but I don't think it takes anything away from the movie. Mm. I still love it. Charlie, you picked a, a Sean Connery movie. You gave an yeah. honourable mention to a Daniel Craig movie. Are you a fan of Dalton or are you a fan of The Living Daylights? Well, um, you know, the, the Fleming fans tend to really like Timothy Dalton because he's, he's probably the closest to Fleming's bond in mm. the books, certainly in kind of looks and attitude. He's not a sort of light-hearted, quippy Roger Moore type. For me, I think the, the best Bond director is Martin Campbell. I think what he did, rebooting it all with Goldeneye and then rebooting it all again with... Um, Casino Royale was was pretty extraordinary, and I I think he is the director that that really n knows how to make a Bond mm. film work. To get that balance of of grittiness with escapism, sexiness without it being objectionable. Lewis, two very strong pitches from Charlie and from Mark. So if we had to pin you down, in your opinion, what is the best ever Bond movie? Well, I also, I think a bit like Charlie was tempted by Casino Royale because I do love Casino Royale. I think it's got the best Bond um, leading lady in it as well. Um, I think it's a really strong reboot, um, as um, Charlie was saying. But I think my absolute best ever that I had, could only really argue for um, as strongly is From Russia With Love, okay. which is early Connery, an early film. I would argue is the first real introduction to James Bond in cinema We'd had Doctor No first, but I think Goldfinger after From Russia of Love gets a lot of credit, too much credit, I'd argue, for being the real like 
establisher of the formula of Bond when actually most of those elements were already there and introduced in From Russia With Love, which I think is such a, has such a strong story, mm. especially. Um, it's got, you know, it's added in the pre-title sequence, which has become such a component of Bond films. It's almost something that people hype up on in beforehand. They're ready to see what they can pull out of the bag in the opening sequence. And that was such a chilling, strange opening sequence, I mm. think. Um, it introduced the Bond song, I think, really for the first time. Um, opening title sequence with, you know, arguably, you know, <laughs> objectifying in in the um, in in the opening title sequence. Um, but it's such a strong story. Um, I think they did dampen down the Cold War elements a bit from the book, but mm. I think on the whole, um, it's very much an espionage story. And James Bond is a spy. He's a super spy, mm. so he's an action hero as well, but I think very, first and foremost, he is a spy. And mm. I think that story is so quintessentially a spy story. Mm. And they do inject action into it and do provide those big set pieces, but it is a is ultimately a spy story. And I think that it really succeeds at that. From Russia with love, they really do come out the gates charging. You know, Doctor No, you could see as maybe a pilot. Mm. If, if they were doing like a TV pilot mm. to see how they got on, it was successful. It laid a great foundation. And then they really charged ahead with From Russia with love. I love it. I mean, it is, I think all the Bond films are of their time, like License to Kill. It's about drug lords. Yeah, you know, it couldn't be more 80s, that movie. It couldn't be more 80s, it be more 80s yeah. you know. Cold War elements of um, The Living Daylights. Mm. But again, the Cold War elements and the proper kind of 60s spy espionage of From Russia With Love is just spot on. I mean, having a periscope in an embassy oh, is I love just, it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is, is brilliant. It's got amazing elements that, you know, Bond then progresses with, but as a spy espionage movie, yeah, it's 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 a great choice. I can't argue with it. And you're 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 right about the the formula as well, because you know, great again, again, slightly different though, in that it has it's not not really clear who is the the chief villain in From Russia with Love. It's got a great kind of rogues gallery. Um, it, that that idea of you know a, a charismatic ally for Bond is something we see a lot as well. And then mm. and Karen Bay is like one of the first and possibly one of the one of the best as well. Yeah, I think um, Pedro Amadaris, who sadly died during production on mm. the film, um, but his character, Alec Karimbe, is really, like, suave and, like, charismatic. He's mm. slightly uh, senior. He's almost like you could imagine maybe, like, a bit more of a senior Bond of what, like, maybe you think he'll end up ageing into because yeah. he romances what, women. He and Connery apparently got on very well, and you can tell. It, it definitely, it yeah, definitely translates good chemistry. It really comes across, yeah. I think. Robert Shaw is, is, is fantastic as the villain. But it, then it doesn't. It then it doesn't go on to a sort of big Bondian explosive finale. But yeah. you've got the the great ending where Rosa Klebb, ascent, you know, tries to kill him with her mm. the dagger in the shoe. Yeah. So I mean, all those elements. But yeah, I, I think probably watching it now, you know, if I was going to say to a show, to, here's a ten year old kid who's never seen a James Bond. Which one will I show to, mm. to to really get them into Bond? I think it might struggle just because of it being. A little bit dated, but but still a fabulous film. Yeah, I do love From Russia with Love, but you're right that that fight sequence um, with Grant on the train is so good that quite often I forget that there's still about thirty to forty minutes of the film left to come after <laughs> that. It almost feels like the film kind of dramatically peaks at that point, and then there's the whole sequence where yeah, they're they're, they're chased on the sea, and then you think they're safe, and then Rosa Klebb, and it's just kind of the film kind of peters out, but still, you know. A classic, you know. I mean, I would classic. argue Rosa Klebb with a poisoned shoe blade is a pretty explosive banana. <laughs> that's that's the big, Personally, that's the big finish. That's my big finish. Um, it's not the same as a top of a volcano opening <laughs> and loads of ninjas coming down on ropes. I mean, I can't argue for sheer bombast. That really <laughs> yeah, is sure. like the finale um, to yeah. compete with. To be fair, yeah, you know, twice.
Well, uh, Radio Times audience has also been having their say on which is the best ever Bond movie. So on X, uh, Willow Minton went for Skyfall. So another Daniel Craig knock, seen or out, which has got a few, a few shout outs. Uh, Michael McKenna backed Goldfinger. Uh, and on Facebook, Ben Neal plumped for the spy who loved me. No, no love for Rog today, unfortunately. I was still of an age to enjoy Bond when um, Living Out, Let It Die came out. I enjoyed that. I, I quite enjoyed Man with a Golden Gun, but not, but not as much. And I was starting to lose interest. And, and I did really feel Roger Moore's not Sean Connery. This is a completely different impersonation mm. of, of James Bond. But looking back, I think Roger Moore actually did a fabulous job. Mm. He, it, you know, it was very difficult to reboot Bond in the 70s. You couldn't take it too seriously. The 70s was a weird decade. It was quite a camp de decade mm. and you needed a Bond that could kind of hold his own in there. And he became this sort of big, fun family entertainment and he had a very light touch, Roger Moore. And I mean, he also had a fantastic James Bond name, let's face it. A secret <laughs> agent called Roger Moore. Uh, <laughs> his name in itself is an innuendo, I've never really, yeah. Um, and and so I've kind of you know uh, gone back and and kind of reassessed my my view and 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 I think the spy love me is the best the best of his it's got yeah. that uh, I think it got the right level of of spectacle and story and outrageousness without going too far. He also arguably had the hardest job of any Bond actor in the sense I know he wasn't the first to follow Connery who had set the mold but he was the first to do his own. Thing with it, I would say, because very much what they were trying to do with George Lazenby and what George Lazenby was trying to do was imitate Sean Connery. You know, to the to the extent that they they dressed him like Sean Connery, they made him get his hair cut famously like like Sean Connery. Roger Moore came in and did something quite quite yeah. different, um, and it and it worked. And if it, that hadn't worked, that may have been the end of Bond. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think they 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 were on firm footing when they chose Sir Roger. Um, at the time, you know, because his track record previous to the Bond movies, you know, The Saint, um, you know, there were elements of Bond in his previous works. And I think the producers, you know, Cubby um, could probably see that. And I think that was probably an informed decision. So I think, yes, it was, as Charlie says, it was a, it was a very difficult job for him to take over the role, having had, you know, Sean Connery and um, George coming beforehand, but I think there was there was definitely elements I think of they're onto a sure thing here, and he does it brilliantly. I mean, Live and Let Die is just I, I think back on that again coming back to childhood, and there's some really scary elements of you know around voodoo in that mm. movie. Some, that, again, some great villains. Some great villains, you know. Um, so yeah, there, there's it's it, again it's one of those movies that comes out the gate storming, and uh, Sir Roger was great. I think what we've established is there are lots of very good Bond films. A lot of them. But, but... It, uh, and, and it comes down to the one that you were at that age where you were first exposed to it. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think we could probably all say that, you know, that's, that's my favourite, but it's not necessarily the best. And everybody has, has there's a sense of ownership. It mm. would be huge arguments. Mm. Um, and it just, in the end, it does come down to the one that, that resonates with you. I think if you look at it from a film perspective as well, you probably take bits from each of the movies, yeah. mm. put them together, and that is your That's ultimate the, Bond That would Bond be movie. the best ever. You, you, that you would be the I best mean. ever Bond movie. Um, but yeah, as Charlie says, it's what connects with you, that first kind of engagement with it. But I do, I do, have, to make, I do have to make a choice. Uh, you have each made your case. Now the time comes for a verdict. 
to be passed. Charlie, you argued that You Only Live Twice was the best ever <laughs> Bond movie. Mark, you were convinced that The Living Daylights deserved the top spot. And Lewis, you made a passionate plea for From Russia with Love to win the ultimate stamp of approval. After listening to your arguments, weighing up all the evidence, it is tough because I think you all made very strong choices. But I have to say, one of you did make a case for this film being a Bond movie that perhaps didn't set the template, but it's 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 perhaps the most iconic Bond movie. It's the one that when you think of Bond, so many elements, this is what you think of. So the best ever <laughs> Bond movie is officially You Only Live Twice. Congratulations, Charlie Hickson. You are this episode's winner. <clears throat> and the winner of Thank you. You are, gonna, you are going to get such stick for this. It doesn't matter what we picked. <laughs> well, I only came here with one intention, which was to win. Uh, but I thought I'd be uh, on a sticky wicket because uh, I don't think that You Only Live Twice has ever appeared on the, <laughs> the number one on the list of the best Bond films. But I mean, I went for it because it is it is my favourite because I was, I was like 10 years old when I went to see it and it, and it blew me away. I was robbed. Um, but I won't hold it against Charlie. He did really argue his case, but I know in my heart that I'm right. And I will go away proud. I'm um, very pleased for Charlie. No ill will or hard feelings here. So um, it's a tough, tough decision for anyone to make to pick a ultimate best Bond movie. So, you know, they're all great. Charlie, Mark, Lewis, thank you all for joining me for this episode of The Best Ever. Uh, and thank you all for joining us as well. What did you make of our verdict? Did we make the right choice? You can let us know on X at Radio Times. Maybe a few uh, dissenting opinions, we'll see. <laughs> uh, we'll be bringing you new episodes of The Best Ever weekly. So head to radiotimes.com forward slash the best ever for all the latest news and additional exclusive content for each new episode. And if you're listening to the podcast, you can also subscribe and review The Best Ever on your podcast outlet of choice. That's all for now, but thank you for joining us for The Best Ever.